This episode is sponsored by NOAA, an app I listen to regularly. The first 100 people to visit newsoveraudio.com forward slash Mediatribe will get a week free to listen to articles from The Economist, Bloomberg and Foreign Affairs plus 50% off. Welcome to Mediatribe, the podcast that's on a mission to restore faith in journalism. I'm Shona Kinnair, an award-winning journalist with over 10 years of experience working for some of the biggest news outlets in the industry. Every week, I'm going to introduce you to some of the world's most respected journalists, filmmakers and media executives, and you're going to hear the story behind the storyteller. You'll get a sense of the integrity and hard graft that's involved in journalism, and hopefully you'll go away feeling that this craft is worth valuing. We were doing that stuff before they built in content moderators. You know, we would look, we were looking at the raw unfiltered stuff and checking it through. Too many beheadings, too much death, too many like nasty things. And it is really important for journalists, even freelancers, to be aware of that and to be aware that there are people out there who are interested in making sure that we don't get sick. My guest this week is BBC News journalist and author of Bear Markets and Beyond, Druti Shah. Druti Shah, you're most welcome to the Media Tribe. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you on, Druti. And we, of course, crossed paths back in 2012. Uh, we were both on a on the John Schofield mentoring scheme. I I believe we were the first bunch to be chosen uh, to be mentees that year. And, and we struck up a friendship off the back of that, which was awesome. And you've been at the BBC for many of the year now. So do you want to tell our audience how you ended up at the BBC and everything you do there? Definitely. So yeah, I've been at the BBC for 13 years. Um, I calculated and I was like, that is a long time. Um, and so yeah, before actually before I even got to the BBC I worked in local papers and I never even thought about broadcasting so here's a top tip you know you have no idea what's going to happen in the future or where you're going to end up and yeah so I was in local papers very happy because I like local papers I like being accountable to the community but they were you know constricting and some you know you've got to adapt you've got to move with the times as it were um and then I went to go and work for a small production company called Insight News Television then I ended up at the BBC again not ever expecting to be at the BBC, not expecting somebody like me would be welcome there, to be perfectly frank with you. And I was like, hey, let's let's apply. I went to like a, a random event. I met somebody who was looking for unusual characters. Apparently I fit that mould. <laughs> that's a compliment, really. Just by the way, that's a compliment. <laughs> I, I, no, I definitely take it as a compliment. But yeah, and then I've been at the BBC ever since. But I've wandered around and I think this is why you and I are definitely friends and having met the John Scofield Trust and bonded in that we don't just stay doing one thing. We like to try lots lots of different things. So I worked at the website because I like to write and, um, you know, working for the BBC News website is is a privilege. I'm not going to sort of ever take that away. I worked at Panorama, so doing investigations, um, much like you do. And then, yeah, I worked in strategy and running the BBC News LinkedIn account. So moving all across and where else, um, you know, world service, uh, news hours, so radio, so lots of different public sector uh, broadcasting but for most of my time so now in fact oh my gosh 10 years 10 years I've been doing user-generated content so, so it's also known as eyewitness media and that means covering the social beat so getting heartbeat stories um, finding them where people aren't able to go where war correspondents aren't able to go where we don't have somebody but yet there's something happening so terror attacks yep 
Natural disasters, yep. Stories about people with dementia, yep. So, you know, nurses, the pandemic, every single thing that you can think about in terms of a story, having somebody at the heart of it, somebody who's not, you know, somebody who's very media savvy or very sort of very well, that's the sort of work that I've been doing. And that means that clearly my experience is very, very broad. And yeah, I've been around at the BBC and been like, let's try a new adventure each time. Well, what's so interesting about your work, Drushi? I mean, you started working on verification and debunking fake news many a year ago, kind of way before uh, the times that we're living in now. You know, fake news is, you know, it's, it's a headline in the news every single day. And of course, everything that's just happened here in the US, um, people are really focused on misinformation and disinformation and how that's affecting our world. But you, of course, have kind of been in this field for, for years now. Do you want to maybe even just explain what that even entails, you know, verifying content and why we need to do that? And you know, kind of the tricks you employ to do that, Drusi. Sure, although I need to flag up, you also have an amazing podcast out there already with Malachi, Malachi Brown from the New York Times. So, you know, if you're going to listen to me and you haven't listened to that episode yet, you need to go back. Um, but I do want to make something really clear in that I believe any good journalist, any journalist worth their soul, like, you know, again, you've been working investigations for such a long time, you'll have been debunking, you'll have been verifying as part of your job, you'll have been moving things and saying, actually, do you know what? This isn't accurate. This isn't worth a story or this isn't something that we need to focus on. What's really been a, sh a sea change is where now people are a lot more transparent about that, which they would have left before and not made it to broadcast, not made it to air. Journalists since time gone have, all, you know, have always been doing disinformation uh, debunking, misinformation debunking, uh, looking at propaganda and deconstructing it. And I think sometimes people forget that. So, so do you want to talk about the, the actual user generated content that I mean, that's uh, the the material that you for, for years have been verifying and um, just like, just explain to our audience, many of them, in fact, the majority of them are not journalists. So explain exactly what that is and how you go about that, Drugi. I think that would be really helpful. Of course. So in terms of user generated content, that comes from the audience, that comes from users as it were. It's a bit of a clunky term, to be perfectly frank with you. And that's why some other people use eyewitness media. But say you're um, out and about, not planning to get up to any mischief or do anything naughty, etc. You're just walking out and about. Everybody Nowadays, pretty much everybody has a camera on them. Um, and I don't know, say an earthquake happens. Touch wood, it doesn't. But say an earthquake happens. And there you are filming a selfie. And then you go, oh, hold on a minute. The earth is rumbling underneath the ground. Like, what is going on? And then you start uh, spinning around I guess and you start sort of filming everything that you can see amongst you but that that footage was taken by chance on one hand what would then happen is bearing in mind that that's an instantaneous moment we would not have correspondence out there necessarily to be able to capture that so then what would happen is then you then upload it onto social media or you then send it if not to the BBC to um, another publication or it goes out there into into the ether and then what happens is we then do some jigsaw identification and we check, hold on a minute, is that really an earthquake? Has that really happened? Or is this some mischief making going on? Because there are people out there who want to pretend things are happening that aren't necessarily happening for various reasons. So wait, hold on. So you, Mr. Joe Brown, you're there and hold on a minute. It looks like there's somebody else there. So wait, we've got two sources here. Hold on a minute. Now there's another one popping up, another footage. Perhaps this is on Instagram. Perhaps this is on YouTube. Perhaps this is coming through a WhatsApp. So now you're starting to build up a picture. There's clearly something going on. 
what then happens is you check the location. So sometimes things will pop up with no specific location data on there. You know, often people do tag IAM in XYZ. So what you will then do is then try and sort of cross-reference and match to check is that person actually in um you know we had the Christchurch earthquake for example take that take that as an example that we worked on is that person actually there what are the la- you know can we see landmarks is any uh, can we cross reference against google or against any other map etc so you then do that okay we we know that this person is definitely oh, we the likelihood of that person being where they say they're being is high then if they've been in contact with us or if there so there's a tweet out for example we'll then message and be like we need to speak to you in an ideal world in terms of verification it's much better to speak to someone the reason why is when you can talk to someone you can do cross-referencing but you can also often especially as you get more and more experience here if they're lying you can sort of tell what you know what is the truth so you would ask things like where exactly are you what can you see around you can you give me some context before in terms of what you were doing at what point did you get up to this moment what are you going to do now the key thing is making sure that they're always safe at the end of the day, when it comes to journalism, it's the welfare of someone rather than the, oh, here's the story. Oh, my gosh, they're in a dangerous place. That's cool. No, it's not cool. They need to be in a safe place at that point in order to be able to speak to you. So they kind of become these citizen journalists. And, and what you're saying there then, Drew, is that you automatically, nearly as their editor, you have a, a responsibility, a duty of care towards them to make sure that, you know, if you're going to go ahead and use their footage, once it's verified on the BBC, you need to make sure that that person is okay and and what have you, as you would with your, your normal journalists who are under you at the BBC. To a degree, but also not to a degree, bearing in mind that they are, they are a normal member of the public. They have not put themselves in this position. They have not been commissioned. They have been there by instant chance. So that, and also what the role is, yes, it's, you're basically raw news gathering, as they call it. So you're collecting the content, but you're making sure, and that's where the verification element comes into play, that this is accurate content, that this is reflecting the reality of what is in the ground. You don't have to do that with your own correspondence because clearly you've got to the stage. The other thing is your own correspondence, you know, we're editorially trained. We will be, okay, looking out for specific things to film or people to interview or or people to talk to. We would never ask somebody to go out and interview somebody. We would never go out and ask someone to put themselves in danger. These are all after the event in terms of your footage, you know, you're you're there. Sometimes they don't have footage, for example. Like sometimes there will be a rate, it will be an audio only interview. You still have to check that they are there, that you are not being hoaxed in any way. And then sometimes they're not in a position, they might be in shock to put on air. So yeah, you're right in terms of you make you're making editorial calls and you're deciding whether they are a suitable contributor um, and they are a comfortable contributor which to put forward. Yeah, I mean it's the ethical side of of your job, which is really really important. Especially, you know, you're working with people you just don't know at all. Um, so you have to do all of this hard work in the background. Well, I think you know it's it's probably um, I don't know what year you started doing that type of work, Druti uh, verification. Was that really ten years ago? Well, that's six- I realised, like I said, I've marked my anniversary, like I think it was either last week or the week. No, I'm pretty sure it was last week. Wow. So you really were ahead of the curve and it's really, really important work in our field. So it's great that somebody like you, as qualified and as experienced as yourself, Druti, is is on the case. The next question, Druti, as you'll know, um, it's it's the larger part of the interview, but I'd be very keen to to learn about a story or project that you're incredibly proud of. As you say, you've kind of you've dipped into so many aspects of journalism over the years. And as you say, that's kind of why we got get on so well. We we kind of give everything a bit of a stab, whether it's documentaries or podcasts or writing or newspapers or digital or what have you. But is there something specific you have in mind that you'd like to tell our audience about? 
Oh, I'm going to be completely shameless and say that I've got this book out um, and <laughs> and I've been working on it for four years and it has emerged from a very surreal place in that I was never a business expert. Like I never studied business in that degree. Um, I have had false imposter syndrome, etc. But I have an illustrated bestiary and that is a guide to animals in the business world. And it's called Bear Markets and Beyond. And it will and I'm working it. I've worked on it with an illustrator named Dominic Bailey. And it's so weird, but yet it's proving incredibly useful, especially in this, you know, post covid financial world, helping people to understand something that is very, very closed off. So in terms of you and I getting on because we do very unusual things this this is completely out there I mean you've got this is the thing you've got an investment banking background like you've got economics in your <laughs> well you made me sound a bit rich there no I've an accounting background <laughs> I definitely didn't uh, was never an investor or a trader sadly that was not verified <laughs> but yeah no but that's the thing like having that ability to move I think is really it's been a confidence booster in that respect in the fact it has gone out there and it's had really good reviews you know it we sent a copy. So as I said, it's very, very simply, here is a picture of a cash cow. And here is me being a little bit funny and a little bit silly, but also very serious and explaining to you what a cash cow is. If you don't know, but yeah, you've heard it quite a lot of times and you know, people are talking about it. And much like me, I like, huh, what exactly is going on? Or here is a unicorn because everybody keeps talking about these unicorns. Well, do you know what? They're not real life unicorns. No, they're business terms. Or, you know, <laughs> Bear markets, oh my lordy. So bear markets, um, especially as the pandemic was um, beginning to emerge much more, like people were searching bear markets considerably. It was like one of them, I think it hit record levels in terms of Google searches when that people were looking for it when the markets were going up and down. I don't know what a bear market is. I don't understand what's going on. But actually a bear market is when the stock, you know, when the stocks and shares are going down, like a bear swats its paws down. That's far more interesting. And you're like, oh, okay. If that means like the stocks and shares and everybody in finance is having a bit of a, oh, let's see what's going on. Then you're going to be more interested. If I said to you, yeah, bear market, you're like, oh, that's nice. But if I say to you, no, this is going to affect you because of your pensions, because it's going to have a ripple effect, because of it's going to affect money matters in this way. But think of it in this way, that bear with its paws down, you're going to take more heed of it, surely. And the thing is, with this book, it's suitable because it's got such great illustrations. Dominic just went off on one, as it were. Like, we, we would collaborate, but, you know, I was like, let's be free. Let's have fun with it. The, the whole point is to make it a bit more fun rather than something dry. You know, it's suitable for children. So we have, like, people's kids, you know, from, like, you know, three, four years old, just picking up the book, looking at the image. They don't need to know the words. They just need to never be scared of business. They just need to be like, okay, as soon as they're exposed at a young age through visuals, they're like, okay, you know, at some point when somebody says to them, oh, what's a, you know, a zebra company or what's a dog eat dog? They'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll go and look at my book. Well, it's fantastic. No, it really, really is um, beautifully illustrated, as you say, Drushi, and e extremely helpful, even for a person like myself who I'm supposed to have a financial background. But there was a, quite a few terms in there that I had never come across before. So it's it's essentially a financial jungle. And you kind of you've illustrated predators trying to climb their way to the top of the food chain, as it were. And you mentioned, of course, bear markets and there's bull markets. Um, my son, who is 16 months, uh, admittedly, um, has also had a little look at the book himself. He's quite obsessed with animals at the moment. I can't say he fully understands uh, what a chicken investor is yet, 
but give him a few years, Druti, and he'll he'll be all over that. No, it's a, it's a great um, it's a it's a great book, and and I think you know I do definitely encourage people to to check it out. We can buy it on Amazon, Druti, or or local bookshop. Yeah, you can buy it in your independent bookstore. I mean, you can buy it in in the bigger places, but if you look for it, it's bear markets and beyond. It's uh, Druti Shan Dominic Bailey. But one thing I do want to say, and I think it's really important because you have got this amazing podcast with lots of takeaways about media. So with this, I went to go and work in the business unit. So I was taking a break, which is important from from the verification world for a degree. I went to work in the business unit and I did have false imposter syndrome. I was worried that I was with these people who are really good at what they do, who are amazing, who have all this knowledge. And I, when I was hired because I'm really good at social storytelling. Having spent um, such a significant proportion of time working with the audiences on the social beat, you clearly will gain ex- experience in terms of what people are looking for. But... I, w- I went in and I'd go to meetings and, you know, people would be talking about um, hawks and doves um, and, ha- you know, how people are sort of perceiving the financial world or, as I said, the bear markets. And at that point, because I didn't fully understand, I was concerned. And so what I was doing, I started sketching. And so there's that element of storytelling. When you don't see yourself, you know, when when you don't allow yourself to be limited in terms of the portfolio, like, you you know, you and I both both do, I think it really helps. And so if I, I could have easily gone there and be like, oh, this isn't for me. This isn't something that this is not the place for me to be. This isn't where I belong. And instead, I was like, okay, no, I don't you feel comfortable here. But there are some terms, I'm going to grasp those terms, which aren't quite what I expect them to be. And I'm going to sketch. I'm not the, you know, I'm not as strong an illustrator as Dominic is. I'm, I'm good, but I'm not not as good. So, you know, you know your forte. And that's when it emerged. And I always hope that people are like, don't be limited. Always, It's always worth trying something. Totally. I think you've tapped into two really important things there, actually. So business journalism and finance journalism is in some ways, sometimes it feels really inaccessible because as you say, there's all of this kind of language that's potentially there to confuse us anyway. So we don't understand and we get hoodwinked by various mortgage scenarios or pensions, really complex territory as well. Um, so, so, so well done to you for kind of being in that situation, being slightly confused by all of these terms, but coming up with a solution to to help others going forward. So that's the first point. But I think the second point is, and I know a lot of young journalists do listen to this podcast and, you know, part of our mantra is that we want to inspire the next generation. I think to take away from your story would be that if you get pigeonholed, you can always kind of break away from the sphere that you've been put in and, and try new things. I think probably an onus on us, on our generation, I'm not saying we're terribly young, Drusy, but we're, we're, you know, in, in the middle of the road, let's just say. And um, and it's important, though, for us to kind of keep honing our skills and, and trying to add new skills all the time, because you just have to, you have to keep on evolving if you want to survive in this industry. We definitely know that, that you just have to keep on keep on trying new things and testing new things and and new ways of of storytelling. So fair play to you. The Media Tribe podcast is brought to you by Noah, an app that helps you know more about news that matters. Like ourselves, Noah is obsessed with quality journalism and lets you listen to important curated audio articles from world-class publishers like the New York Times, MIT Technology Review and many more. Their mission is to help listeners like you understand the big issues, get multiple perspectives and go beyond breaking news. The first 100 Media Tribe listeners to visit newsoveraudio.com forward slash Media Tribe will get one week free plus 50% off thereafter. That's newsoveraudio.com forward slash Media Tribe.
Or if it's easier, simply hit the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed to NOAA so far. Not only are you supporting quality journalism, but you're also helping me bring you more Media Tribe episodes like this one. Right, back to Druti. Is there another story, Druti? Because I, I like I was on your website earlier in the week, and it, which is really lovely, by the way, whoever designed that. But you've done such an array of stories over the years. Um, is there anything else from your catalogue that you'd like to delve into? One thing I'm really actually super proud of, and this is a couple of years ago, so it does date slightly in that respect. But I don't think the the idea dates, as it were, in that I went to go and work for the World Service for a little bit on a special project, and it was actually called Freedom. And we asked, so going back to that UGC element and, you know, get that experience um, and not just doing negative things, um, which is what often people think UGC is about um, and eyewitness media, we asked the world, what does freedom look like? And that's a very abstract concept. It will be different for different people. It will be different across cultures. But I'm super proud of the fact that a very small team of us, like I think it was like three, yeah, no, it was, it was no, it was three of us, three, three of us, got together and we asked the world, and the world delivered, and we were able to create. There's a beautiful video on on YouTube actually, so it should be accessible to to everybody. Well, it's called Freedom 2014, and it's just amazing because we got contributions in different languages in from different parts of the world you know you've got migration you've got uh, I'm trying to think one of the ones that sort of stood out there was this there was this young woman who was separated from her boyfriend because he was an immigrant who wasn't allowed to come to her country and for her her idea of freedom was to be able to be with him to be able to cross that barrier and all we wanted was a singular picture for that and we would then record them uh, in their own words giving a single sentence and that that doesn't that human relationship that, you know, I've never forgotten about that after ho- however many years. And I spe- especially now, and I think I, I probably think about it a lot more now because we're in the pandemic, the fact that so many things have been restricted. And in fact, I actually think it's time for us to ask the world again, what what does freedom look like? What do you want in terms of hope in a, in a post-COVID world? Well, I think you're kind of tapping into something else there is like, it is sometimes important to have redemption in these stories. You mentioned, you know, you're not, you moved into the business um, side of the BBC to kind of give yourself a break from verifying citizen footage. And I think probably what you were saying there, Druti, um, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, you, you spend a lot of your days looking at very, very horrific imagery, you know, from war, from earthquakes, as you said, you know, images where people are really suffering and and, and, and even you know I, th- I know we've talked about trauma before and you obviously um were part of the Columbia Ockberg fellowship um that that really focuses on trauma so even though you spend a lot of your time at a desk on, on a computer you also would endure that kind of level of trauma when you're constantly being barraged by by images like this is that what you're saying so it is nice then to have a little bit of redemption in stories and and do something lighter that is exactly it and that's yeah and the thing is so yeah I've got this fellowship at the Dart Centre for Trauma and Journalism I do a lot with them to try and help people uh who are contribute so who are the other end of the stick in terms of being interviewees but also to help journalists take care of themselves and I'm really proud that I found my tribe as it were and that you can go to them and be like okay this has happened I'm really I don't know how to deal with this situation and we're able to build resilience but yeah to be honest with you too many beheadings, too much death, 
too many like nasty things, too much racism, too much xenophobia, because that is what happens in humanity. Humanity is not all light. You know, you have dark shades of things. And in the social world, I think maybe because people are behind screens, that there is that degree of, oh, yeah, it's it's a screen. Oh, yeah, I can do whatever. I can give you the dark excesses. When you're on the other end of it and you're filtering through, you've got to be super careful. And now whenever I read about, you know, content moderators like those who work for the big platforms, we were doing that stuff before they before they built in content moderators. You know, we would look we were looking at the raw unfiltered stuff and checking it through. But yeah, when you've got the nasty stuff, when people are using or attempting to use the media platforms to 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 send out propaganda messages, to send out nasty messages, it can, I think unless you've got robust procedures in place and that's where the dark center has been amazing where there's been a lot more research where as long as you know you're very careful with it and you put these procedures in place it is really important for journalists even freelancers to be aware of that and to be aware that there are people out there who are interested in making sure that we don't get sick because to mm. people can get sick and you have to take breaks you so have to take breaks you can't do it 24/7 yeah. Well, the Dart Centre at Columbia University, if, if anyone is unfamiliar, is really a fantastic resource. Uh, we have an amazing woman there, um, Jeannie Gearing. Uh, I was lucky enough to work with the legend that is Jeannie back in, gosh, maybe 2016 on a film in, in Germany involving LGBT refugees. But but the work they do there is really important for journalists um, dealing with trauma and, and PTSD and what have you. And as you say, Druzy, that can be behind a screen or that can be out in the field, but it's all very important um, that we we talk about this and deal with this um, in our industry. Um, Druji, last question. Is there a crazy experience that you'd like to delve into that the world doesn't know about? When I was a cub reporter in local papers, um, and so you had a particular beat, and I was in a, a particular uh, place in London, and there was one story um, where I was going to go and make friends, make contacts, as it were, and that's really important when you're on a beat. Anyway, Bearing in mind, by the way, because um, this is a, an audio piece, I'm brown. I'm very brown, by the way. This is very important for people to this. I'm brown. I'm good, right? And so I went and knocked on somebody's door, like to make a new, you know, bearing in mind, new reporter, cub reporter, completely fresh. Went and knocked on the door, and this guy came out. He's a white guy. Nice, you know, nice and fun. I don't know who he is. I just arranged to have a chat with him to find out more about the community. Op- uh, opened the door to very beautiful German shepherd dogs came out, came up bounding next to me. I, I really like dogs. So I was like, oh, cool. You know, and then the guy, this was the first thing he said to me. Oh, I didn't realize that colored people like dogs. And I was like, I'm about to go into this man's house. Oh, <laughs> How am I going to play this one? Bearing in mind, when you're a cub reporter, you've not really been heavily involved in journalism before. And so that's one is I want to give this lesson because I could have sat there. I could have got really offended. As a journalist, this is a different persona. I have to sort of figure this out and see if we can move forward and have some dialogue um, regarding this. And also, I'm by myself. <laughs> um, the up, long and short of it was that I was I took the decision. I went into his kitchen. I had a cup of tea with him. We had a chat. At first, it was a little bit awkward because I didn't know what to say. But by the end of the, you know, by the time I'd left the local paper, he was one of my best contacts. <laughs> and, and it was for me, it was really fat, you know, and he never said that. We know that phrase was never used again and I think for for both of us it was a really valuable lesson in terms of him never had never having had and this is some of the things he would say in in the stories that we ended up covering that there was there wasn't dialogue between 
the Asian community there and his particular community. So he had never been able to, he'd never had like a, a full on conversation with somebody like me before, you know, and he was a great source of stories to be perfectly frank with you. So I could have sat there and I could have judged and I could have been like, right, I'm not getting involved in this. And I, we could have had cancel culture and actually didn't. That is a good story and a good a good lesson and fair play to you for having that level of patience yourself. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's really, I think it's great for our audience also to meet people who are not continuously out in the field and doing the field reporting or producing and, and hearing from people who are at their desks and, and doing equally as, as valuable work as journalists like you are doing M. Druti. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're so grateful. Thank you. If you like what you heard on this episode of Media Tribe, that's very good news because I'm going to be dropping new shows every week and every month on my new Media Tribe Spotlight series. Also, if you haven't already, make sure to take a listen to previous shows with some legendary folk in the industry. And as ever, please, please, please do leave me a rating and review as it really does help other people find this podcast. Finally, if you do have any guest suggestions, drop me a note on Twitter. I'm at Shauna with a GH or at Shauna Kinnear on Instagram. And again, that's with the GH. Right, that's it. See you soon. This episode was edited by Ryan Ferguson.